Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, February 18th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, before we dive in, I just have to let everybody know and the listeners know that uh, my neighbor is having his roof redone. So you may hear some uh, drilling and buzzing and hammering and general construction noises uh, bleed into this audio. I'm going to do my best to mute this mic whenever I'm not talking. But uh, just in case you hear any, you know, weird uh, noises in the background, that's what's going on. So don't be alarmed. Uh, with that uh, caveat out of the way, let's dive into today's news. I don't imagine it's going to be a super long episode, but um, because several of the stories don't have a ton of information uh, sort of attached to them. And uh, first and foremost being Jordan Peele's new movie. Chris, uh, I know we don't know a lot about this, but what do we know about uh, Peele's new film? Uh, we know that Kiki Palmer is officially uh, attached to star and Daniel Kalia, who uh, of course appeared in Get Out, is very close to closing his deal and will likely be in the film as well. And that's really it. We know it's going to be another Jordan Peele horror movie uh, with, with with like social themes again, just like Get Out and Us. But 
Uh, beyond that, there are very few details. Oh, we also know the release date, July 22nd, 2022. So that's it, folks. That's all you get. <laughs> um, Kiki Palmer, I feel like was uh, sort of like a, she came out of like the Nickelodeon school. Am I right about that? Brad, do you know anything? I feel like you're still a little bit more tapped into um you know you, that that whole Nickelodeon vibe. You uh, love Nickelodeon, Brad. Come <laughs> I mean, on. not that you like actively watch stuff, but I feel like you're a little bit more um, attuned to some of that than I am. D- is that true? Did Did Kiki Palmer sort of emerge from that uh, that sort of acting style? Uh, first of all, you guys are right. I do love Nickelodeon. However, I um I'm not necessarily up and up on on some of the more recent developments, and so I, that sounds correct. I vaguely remember something like that, but I honestly don't know like what show it was on or, or anything like that. But I do believe that she, she did start over there. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at her IMDb right now and uh, Aquila in the B from 2006, I think was a, a real big sort of coming out moment for her. Um, and yeah, she's on a ton of Nickelodeon shows. She's on Degrassi and then uh, true Jackson VP, I think might be the one that I was thinking of the, the Nickelodeon show. But um, I think, Maybe our listeners who don't watch children's television uh, might most recently recognize her from uh, Hustlers, which she played a supporting role in in, in that film. So, um, yeah, that's kind of exciting news. And, and obviously the reunion with Daniel Kaluuya is, is really exciting, um, especially since he has just proven to be like even more of a dynamic uh, presence than, you know, in the, the years since Get Out. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens when he uh, reunites with Jordan Peele, even though, as we've established, we know almost nothing about this movie. So uh, with that said, let's just move on to our next item, which is uh, Tim Burton's ne- next project. Chris, what do we know about that? Uh, Tim Burton is directing a Netflix series that is a spinoff of The Addams Family. Uh, and it's about Wednesday Adams, and it's live action, and it really doesn't sound anything like previous Adams Family projects before. Here's here's the rundown. <clears throat> the upcoming eight episode series is a sleuthing, supernaturally infused mystery charting Wednesday's years as a student at the peculiar Nevermore Academy. Wednesday's attempts to master her emerging psych ability thwart a monstrous killing spree that has terrorized the local town and solve the mystery that embroiled her parents 25 years ago, all while navigating her new and very tangled relationships of strange and diverse student body of the strange and diverse student body. So there you have it. It's, it's Wednesday Adams, but she's older now. She's going to a school that's kind of like, I guess, Hogwarts. Uh, she's psychic. She's solving mysteries. Uh, yeah, there you have it. <laughs> so we knew about this project when it, it was first announced. Um, Al Go and Miles Miller, who developed Smallville, are sort of the people behind the the script for this. I think they're also show running this too. Um, Burton, as far as I understand, is going to be directing all eight episodes, and I think we knew that much. And I, I think I want to say we knew that it was going to center on Wednesday Adams, but this plot synopsis that you just read is new, and like the extent to which this is different from. Uh, you know, how people generally know that character is sort of uh, sort of shocking. I mean, we, we like sort of litigated the whole thing about how lazy it is for Tim Burton to step into this uh, aesthetic uh, last time when we had that that first conversation about him joining the show. But um, Chris, I mean, it really seems like it can't be uh, overstated, like how different this is. Like, what do you think about this? And, and I guess uh, Burton sort of tackling this kind of material as well. It's weird. Cause like, this sounds like everything that was inspired by the Adams family, but not the actual Adams family. Like this sounds like a mix of like, 
a series of unfortunate events and um, uh, chilling adventures of Sabrina, which is another Netflix show. You know, that was, that had a secret spooky Academy and, you know, it was about her navigating the student body and all that stuff. So it's just, it's very weird. Like on, on one hand, it's, Tim Burton doing anything related to the Adams family seems just so lazy and boring and like almost like beyond parody at this point. At the same time, this, this premise is so far removed from the Adams family that it's like, I I don't, I really don't know what to make of this. You know, I, I, when I, when I was younger, when I was growing up, Tim Burton was like a huge deal for me because I was, you know, a weird outcast and his movies really spoke to me. And then as I got older, he got, kind of lazy. And I don't think it's that I grew out of his films. Cause when I go back and rewatch his early movies, they still mostly hold up for me. It just, he reached a certain point where he just started becoming lazy. Honestly, he became like a parody of himself. Like he, you could just plug in a formula into all his movies. Like they had the same costume design and, you know, Eva green was in most of them. And it, it just, it just felt like he was, um, uh, what's the what is the phrase I'm, I'm looking for here it's sort of like falling in a rut it's it's more like he's like painting by numbers basically mm. it's like he has a, a strict formula he sticks to it and he doesn't want to go outside of that formula at all and it just got really boring and lazy to me at the same time you know it's it's kind of a big deal that he's directing his first tv series you know he's never done that before and i'm sure netflix is going to throw a ton of money at him because they love spending lots of money they don't care about that so uh, you know this might turn out to be something interesting but i don't know brad what do you think about this and and specifically the uh the weird like not quite wednesday adams uh components of the you know the character that we've come to know uh no sir i don't like it uh <laughs> yeah no it's just yeah like, like chris said this is it's predictable and it feels lazy and like the what this series is doesn't feel like it's true to to Wednesday Adams as a character, you know, and like even the premise itself, it, it's it also even calls back to uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children that Tim, Tim Burton also tackled, which was another choice that it's like, oh yeah, of course Tim Burton is doing this movie, and of course Eva Green is in it, and so it's just like I I don't, I don't know, I I almost would have would have preferred they do something similar, but like with a different character, like you know uh there are there are tons out there you know um from from comics or old cartoons stuff like that i would even prefer them to do some kind of like um riverdale uh, approach to scooby-doo or something like that as opposed to, to doing something you know with wednesday adams like this and so it just i don't know it just all feels unnecessary and like they're they're trying to fill the gap since you know chilling energy of sabrina is over they're like oh we need another show with a, a creepy weird teen girl with powers mm-hmm. and, and whatnot so yeah, yeah, that's where I am. Yeah, I, I hate to be like super cynical this early without even knowing like who's cast in it or really too much more about it. But it really kind of feels like one of those uh, shows that Netflix dreams up just for the memes, like you know, just to fill their social media accounts with with memes. Uh, but anyway, hopefully it'll be better than that. Um, and I have no idea when the show is actually going to come out. Obviously, the pandemic is still affecting a lot of production start dates and stuff like that. So uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing much more about this show as it moves through, uh, you know, development and closer to actually getting in front of the camera. Um, Brad, tell me about some news about uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We learned a sort of surprising bit of information about that movie today. Yes, we did. Um, It turns out that uh, Doctor Strange sequel will be... uh, 
moving away from Michael Giacchino when it comes to having the score composed by him. Uh, he provided the music for the first movie, but recently it was confirmed by Danny Elfman himself that he will be the one providing the score for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, which is very cool because not only is Danny Elfman one of the best composers around, uh, but we know he already did incredible work for Sam Raimi on the first two Spider-Man movies, not to mention the first two uh, Batman movies that Tim Burton did. And some people might have forgotten. I know, Ben, you and I both forgot that he did the score for, <laughs> for Avengers Age of Ultron. So uh, this is pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I love the scores for the first um, that, like I just mentioned, that Danny Elfman has done before and having him reteam with Sam Raimi for Multiverse of Madness, which is already exciting in itself is just it's just great news like there's really no no other way to say it i i can't wait to hear what he does because it sounds like this movie is you know really going to let raimi get weird in the marvel cinematic universe and hopefully that means danny elfman will be able to do some really cool stuff musically too yeah i didn't even think about that until you just said it but like the idea that um this multiverse of madness movie is going to introduce all of the or not introduce necessarily but uh, incorporate all of these other um aspects and, and characters from different uh, movie universes might have, th this might be a more challenging score than just, you know, a traditional MCU thing. It might be an opportunity for him to like weave some of his own Spider-Man mus music back into this score and like introduce what other, whatever other characters, uh, you know, happen to drop in from the multiverse. They could all get their own themes and stuff like that. And, and I think one of the sort of like underlying or, or consistent through lines rather for the Marvel Cinematic Universe thus far has been a uh, you know a, a general complaint about the lack of memorability for a lot of its uh, music. So um, even though you've got like people like Alan Silvestri doing and, and Giacchino himself doing a bunch of you know uh, the scores for these movies over the past few years, I feel like that's one of the things that people sort of ding the this superhero franchise in particular for is just like music that sort of feels blah a lot of times but yeah um, especially because as, as much as i love michael giacchino's scores i honestly had a hard time remembering what the theme for dr strange was yeah I, I can't place it in my mind right now but like i can instantly i could hum you know the bars from danny elfman's batman score and that i, I think just I, I don't know if it's like if that's a fair comparison to make because Elfman was operating, especially in that movie at a time when, you know, that really was it, that and Superman were kind of like the only games in town in terms of mainstream superhero movies. And, and Michael Giacchino is ob obviously like operating in an era where there's a new superhero movie coming out like every other month or whatever. So it's gotta be tough um, to, to sort of create something that's going to stand out and be super memorable. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe Elfman will be able to, uh, to do something, yeah, like you said, really interesting here. So maybe an Oingo um, Boingo like song, song tied <laughs> tied to Doctor Strange somehow. Yeah, a portal opens up and it's just him and the band just rocking out with one of the yes. <laughs> full like eighties garb. Yes. Um, all right, so let's move to our next story, which is uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon has found a lead actor, and it's somebody that uh, I don't think any of us really expected to step into a, a lead performance in a movie of this caliber this quickly, but uh, Chris, who is going to be starring in this film? It is Jesse Plemons, and this is very exciting, because Jesse Plemons, he's he's become one of those actors who anytime you see him and stuff, you're like, oh man, I love Jesse Plemons. He's just always good, but he's also pretty much been stuck playing you know supporting roles he plays supporting characters uh he does great work with them but he hasn't really led a movie he hasn't really been the main star of a movie really and now 
uh, he's going to be that for Killers of the Flower Moon, which is the new Martin Scorsese movie. And uh, the story of this is it's it's a little detailed on, on how this came about, but I'll do my best to summarize it. So uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, it's based on a book by David Graham, which is based on a true story. And that true story is in uh, the 1920s, the Osage Nation in Oklahoma was just incredibly wealthy because they had oil under their land. And suddenly someone started targeting them and killing members of them. And so the FBI got involved and the story follows this guy named Tom White, who is a a former Texas Ranger turned FBI man investigating the case. So when this project was being developed, the idea was that Leonardo DiCaprio, who of course has worked with uh, Martin Scorsese several times would play that character. He would play, the Tom White character. However, as the script was being written, DiCaprio started um, being interested in playing a different part, uh, a more villainous role in the story. Um, I'm, I'm being vague because I don't want to give away spoilers, even though, again, it's a, it's a true story, so you can kind of look up. Yes, really please don't. I actually just started reading this book last night, so <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm curious what I happens. Will, but... I will not give away the spoilers, but basically, <laughs> DiCaprio wanted to play a more antagonist kind of character. And this actually caused Paramount, who was originally going to distribute the film, to get kind of nervous because they were shelling out a lot of money for this movie. And their concern was people don't want to pay money to see Leonardo DiCaprio as a bad guy. They want to see him as the good guy, which is really a dumb idea. But whatever, that's that's how studio thoughts work. And because of that, uh, Apple TV had to swoop in and kind of rescue the film. So they're distributing the film now uh, and they're they're fronting all the money and all that stuff. So DiCaprio got to keep his antagonist role, uh, but that meant they needed to find a new actor to play that lead um, hero. I'm putting heroes in quotes because it it feels awkward to call members of the FBI heroes because we all know they're up to shady shit all the time. But uh, he had to play the good guy, for lack of a better term. And that character is now going to be played by Jesse Plemons, which is, again, very cool that he's he's stepping into leading man roles, especially the fact that he's playing the lead in a film that has Leonardo DiCaprio in it because Leonardo DiCaprio is such a huge star, but he's, he's playing a supporting role in this. Yeah. And like De Niro's in this too, right? Right. Yeah. He's playing um, DiCaprio's character's uncle. Okay. And then, so, uh, well, Chris, while you were talking and, and, you know, uh, laying out Paramount's mindset, I just had to look up how much money Django Unchained made at the box office where, cause that's another movie where DiCaprio plays a villain and that movie made $425 million worldwide. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sure Paramount knows that, but, and, and, and I'm not trying to call anybody an idiot, but I, I, uh, think that's maybe the outlier in that scenario if that's uh if that's their mindset of like you know people just want to see DiCaprio as the hero it's also you know, true even though that movie's not that old it does feel like it's from like a different time when studios were sort of willing to be a little more risky than they are right now so that's I, true you know studios are are very especially these days studios are very hesitant to shell out a lot of money for movies that aren't uh you know established properties they aren't sequels they aren't franchises they aren't superhero movies and, mm-hmm. you know that's it sucks but that's where we are right now where where they're like oh even though we have Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie we don't want him to be a bad guy we're not gonna yeah. pay for that 
Um, so real quick before we move on, uh, like I said, I just started this book last night. I'm only like 35 pages into it or something. And uh, the Tom White character has not shown up yet. So I know you've read the book, Chris, um, in addition to just being excited for Jesse Plemons because he's a good actor to to lead a Martin Scorsese movie. Do you think he is like a, a good fit for that character? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to actually be honest and say I didn't love the book. I love David Grand's work mostly. And I this is an interesting story. I just didn't love the way the book was written, if that makes sense. But I'm, I'm very excited for the movie. I'm, you know, it's a Scorsese movie. I'm, I'm in, I'm in the tank, no matter what the movie is about, I'm going to be there. <laughs> for sure. Okay. Uh, so our next story involves a Constantine reboot. Um, this is coming to HBO max and, uh, JJ Abrams, bad robot company is developing this. Uh, Chris, give us the details on that. Uh, yeah, this is another story where we don't have really a lot of info. We just know that HBO max is doing a Constantine reboot series. Uh, they're looking for a more diverse lead for the role. So it's, it's they're not going to bring back uh, Matt Ryan, who played Constantine on the, the previous series. Uh, and he also played the character on um, the Arrowverse shows like uh, Arrow and uh, what's the other one? Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to be back. Um, the the guy writing the pilot is someone named Guy Bolton, who actually has like zero film credits. He's a he, he's written two books, but this is sort of like his big debut making you know film and TV, which is kind of interesting. interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I was I was trying to find info on him yesterday when I was writing the story, and there's like nothing out there except the fact that he you know wrote those those two books. Uh, so yeah, that's really all we know. We know it's going to be HBO Max. We know it's going to be based on the comic book character, but. That's about it. That's all we have for now. Uh, Brad, since you're always on the superhero beat, what do you what do you know about Constantine? Have you tuned into any of those shows or like seen any of the movies that feature that character? Because I I sort of skipped a lot of the uh, Arrowverse stuff, and I'm not super fluent in uh, in Constantine lore. But do you know, what do you know about that? Yeah, I didn't uh, dig into any of the Arrowverse stuff. I you know I was aware of his presence on the the shows when Matt Ryan was playing him after the show got canceled on NBC. I, I'm a big fan of the movie with Keanu Reeves, which I almost would prefer that they would just bring uh, him back in some capacity and pick up that thread and turn that into a new DC franchise that could probably easily coexist with the rest of the DC stuff, all things considered. Um, but I I do know that Constantine is also part of uh, Justice League Dark, which is something that Bad Robot is also supposed to be working on, uh, I, I, believe, mm-hmm. I believe, for HBO Max. And so wouldn't be surprised if this could be a potentially, you know, lead up to uh, a bigger movie involving some of those other characters as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the character of Constantine and I'm interested to see what they, uh, what they can do with him, especially, you know, in the hands of uh, bad robots, they, you know, they clearly have some kind of passion for that DC stuff since they're, they're digging into some of the more uh, obscure characters that haven't really made a big, a big journey to the the big screen, or in some cases, you know, even the small screen um, swamp thing famously didn't, go very well for that first season and uh neither did Constantine obviously so um yeah hopefully they can do something that uh you know will they'll be able to throw some money at it and do something that's you know a little more uh I guess you know exciting yeah um all right well speaking of uh superhero stuff our last story because of course it does involves Zack Snyder's Justice League uh Chris give us the latest on uh this four hour movie experience that is coming in I think one month from today actually uh yeah okay <laughs> so the Snyder cut uh you know basic rundown for those who, who just don't know the details and you know I'm not saying I know all the details either but 
Zack Snyder, supposed to direct the uh, Justice League. Um, he left the project due to a family tragedy. Uh, Joss Whedon came in and took over the project. And uh, pretty much most of what hit theaters in 2017 was stuff that Joss Whedon shot or reshot. Uh, and it was not good. And Zack Snyder fans were so disappointed, they became positive that if Zack Snyder's true vision had been realized, Justice League would have been a better movie. And on top of that, they got in their head this idea that the 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 Zack Snyder of this movie was just done and sitting on a shelf somewhere, even though it really wasn't. There was, of course, a rough cut that Zack Snyder put together before he left the project, but it was, like I said, a rough cut. It didn't have effects work. It didn't have color correcting. It didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, but the, the Snyder Cut fans didn't care about that. They just, they wanted the movie to be released. And... For years, they you know they they hammered this home. They insisted that Warner Brothers release the Snyder Cut, and it just felt like a, you know a pipe dream. It felt like something that wasn't going to happen. And then HBO Max came on the scene, and HBO Max is of course the the Warner Media streaming service, and they realized they could hook a lot of new subscribers right away if they announced that they would finally be releasing the Snyder Cut, and that's what they did. So. <laughs> Which that meant that Snyder would actually have to finish the Snyder cut. And uh, to do that, HBO Max reportedly shelled out $70 million to, to finish the film. And uh, rumors started surfacing as soon as this you know news broke that Snyder was going to reshoot um, scenes. Uh, he was going to bring back cast members and, and all this stuff. Um, now, as we get very close to the, the final release, which is, uh, it's going to be March 18th on HBO max, we have, um, a fuller picture. And as it turns out, uh, Zack Snyder did shoot something new, but it was only one scene. And that's been confirmed now by, uh, Deborah Snyder who produced the film. Um, she confirmed that, yes, we just, we just shot one new scene and everyone by now knows that scene is of course, where. Uh, Batman meets Jared Leto's Joker and he talks about how we live in a society because that was in the most recent trailer. <laughs> in addition to that, uh, you know, Deborah Snyder, you know, in this podcast interview revealed that while they didn't shoot new stuff, they did create, um, 2,650 new visual effects for the film. So that I guess kind of explains where that $70 million went. I'm, I'm still, kind of at a loss as to why they needed that much. You know, I get that visual effects aren't cheap, but I, I would love to have like an actual <laughs> itemized breakdown as to what they spent all this new money on. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So Chris, that that is an astounding number of visual effects shots. And I know like, you know, that 2000 number got me thinking and I, I looked back at our archives and I remember writing um, or I, I found this article where I wrote at the beginning of January of this year that WandaVision has more visual effects shots than Avengers Endgame. And I remember us talking about that on the podcast and Avengers Endgame, which is like almost three hours long has uh, like almost 2,500 visual effects shots. So for this four-hour Justice League thing to have, you know, more than that um, is, uh, I mean, per pretty impressive, I guess, in terms of like the, the sheer number of visual effects that that had to be completed to, uh, to get this thing done. And I think that's, yeah, that's got to be the answer of like where all that money went to because, um, 
in that uh, the comments from uh, Deborah Snyder that we you can read the whole thing at the at the link in the show notes if you want to. But she basically talks about how like assets for the character designs and stuff existed before, but Warner Brothers actually changed a lot of that stuff from away from Zack Snyder's original vision for the theatrical cut. And now since they're really the entire purpose of this whole Snyder cut thing is to give the fans what they want, which is like this pure uncut Snyder vision. Um, they actually had to go back and like remap all of the, not all, but a bunch of the character designs to make it look the way that Snyder himself wanted it to look from the beginning. So I guess that's, that's where all of that money went. But um, man, Let, that, that is just a lot. <laughs> let's get, let's get real here, Ben. Do you think, between you and me and Brad, no one else is listening. Between you and Brad, uh, do you think Snyder pocketed most of that money and is just like laughing all the way to the bank? And if he and if he did, does that give you more respect for him? Because honestly, it does me. You know, I, I don't have anything personal against Zack Snyder, but if he was really just doing this to like scam Warner Brothers out millions of dollars, I gotta respect that. I gotta, you know, I gotta give him props for that. What do you think, Ben? What do you think, Brad? let's go to you first brad what do you think i would love it if this was some kind of grift that Zack snyder was pulling on the studio and like and then there'll be a movie in like 10 years about this heist where Zack snyder stole 75 million dollars from warner brothers oh uh as really amusing as that idea is i i don't think that's probably what i I do i do wonder like it seems so weird to me that they only shot one new scene and i wonder if it's a matter of like context of what they what they believe is a new scene because I wonder if they still did shoot extra footage, but it was stuff that isn't necessarily new scenes. It's stuff that maybe was already shot that needed to be finished. Like we talked about before or, or like maybe, maybe if they don't consider reshoots new scenes because it's stuff that that maybe Zack Snyder had always wanted to shoot or, or something like that because it it builds on a a scene that actually existed in the theatrical cut, but it just like adds different context or something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I find it hard to believe that, 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 they they only shot one new scene for this four hour thing, so I, I feel like there has to be more to it than that. Maybe Jared Leto's quote was like seventy million, and then they spent the other, you know, four million or whatever on uh, on visual effects. I don't know. Uh, all right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at uh, slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features that you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And be sure to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.